All right, good to see Brother Cole. Uh, healthy, right? Healthy, wealthy, and wise. <laughs> At least the first part, amen. <laughs> and the last, so let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you, Lord, for letting us come this morning. It is a blessing to be uh, in this building, Lord, and Lord, it's a real honor, Lord, to be able to teach the Word of God. And Father, I pray that you would uh, give me understanding. And Father, I pray that you'd help me to not say anything, Lord, that would hurt the sheep. Lord, unless you've designed it, but Lord, help me to be a help to the sheep. Father, we pray, Lord, that the weather uh, wouldn't uh, deter people from coming today. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the weather. I believe you give us the weather. Well, first of all, because we're in Michigan, I don't know what else we should expect. But the other part, Lord, is uh, so we can get some rewards. So, Father, help us to be faithful in all that we can do. And, Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, here in 2 Timothy chapter 2... In verse 8, <coughs> Bible says here, he says, no, that's uh, not what we want. 2 Timothy 3, there we go. <laughs> That'll work. Yeah, you got to watch me, man. I, I will take you down the wrong path. Just ask half the people in this community, amen. <laughs> verse 8, the Bible says, now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. So we're talking about it. You look back there, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, so forth, 5, and uh, 6, and 7 there. It's talking about the last days, amen. And we are, no doubt, in the last days. If you don't think we're in the last days, maybe time to wake up, put the coffee on, and, uh, and just realize where we're at. We are in the last days. And, uh, and I know Paul... Uh, writing this uh, about 2,000 years back. But uh, notice here, uh, in the last days, uh, you're going to be uh, dealing with men, men in the church. You see that? Could be men and women too as well. But the context is people, believers in the body of Christ. So in the last days, you're going to be dealing with men and women in the church. And number one, they withstand Moses, of course. Moses is a type of preacher. Why? He had the church in the wilderness, right? Amen. So in the passage, when you look at the context and the great application here, you're going to deal with men and women in the last days in the church, that we're talking about in the body of Christ, no doubt in the local church as well, that are going to withstand the preacher. And in doing so, when they do that, notice what the Bible says at the bottom in verse 8. When they do that, they what? They resist the truth. And, of course, they're going to blame family, Right? Uh, they're going to blame family. Could be physical family. Could be the spiritual family. Like you know, you're not very nice, and you're not very kind to me. And you know how it goes when you get up sideways with each other. Amen. Everyone's a, a jerk and an idiot and all that stuff. And my mother warned me about you and all that stuff. But even in the body of Christ, it's the same way. Uh, you know, one of the greatest things uh, a church could have is unity, but never at the price of the truth. Uh, you saying, are you telling me that you'd choose truth over unity any day of the week? Any day of the week. You said, don't you want to get along? <laughs> you didn't hear right, did you? <laughs> I love to get along. Matter of fact, uh, in my ice cream career of having over 30,000 customers, I had like a 0.1% of people that really hated uh, ice cream Evans's guts. And you found out who they was when you went on vacation because then they told uh, whoever was filling in, oh, we don't like that guy. <laughs> He's real pushy, you know. <laughs> but it's only just a sliver. 
But uh, your family will, uh, will, you know, they'll blame the family. Then they'll bl blame the, your friends, you know, and, uh, and then they'll blame the finances. They don't agree how things are done. That's all goes on in the local church, amen? So they resist the truth, and in doing so, you notice in the passage two other damning truths in that verse. Now, when you begin to resist the truth, you withstand the preacher in the last days. Notice here in verse 8, you're identified as having a corrupt what? Mind. You know, in the last days, you know what the problem is with Christians? <laughs> Their mind's shot. And why do you think Paul gives a whole chapter on think on these things? or eight, eight verses, right? Think on these things. Why? Our mind's gone to pieces. You ever stop and think of what you have to subject your mind to every day? Uh, these, uh, these visions of grandeur when I was a kid seemed boring and out of touch, but now having a little old cabin on the hillside of Michigan is a pretty good thought. No Wi-Fi, no television. Uh, take the phone and chuck it out the window, amen? But to unplug from all that, would, uh, I mean, it, you'd have to totally rewire yourself, wouldn't you? Every once in a while, I'll run across somebody who's unplugged from all that, going off the grid, you know what I mean? <laughs> And I'm like, I am really jealous of you right now. As a pastor, I can't unplug in that sense. I have to be available. Uh, uh, how, how in the world they do it back in the early days? Well, you just had a rotary phone, right? And you either got an answer. Before answering machines, it just ring, 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 ring. You know, nobody cared. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we got progressive, and we had the answering machine. And then, the, you know, then you just, man, just pile that thing up with messages. You know, delete all. Delete all. Oops, I missed your message. Sorry about that. <laughs> but we've got trouble with our mind these days. Amen? I mean, even the world understands that. There is now, uh, I don't remember as a kid, uh, someone correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure that will come out eventually. But it seems like every town there's one or two or three rehab places. They didn't have that. Now there's less churches and more rehab places. Ain't that something? Uh, maybe the church used to be the place we used to get rehabilitated. But we're so far advanced, now we have to have rehabilitation places all, you know, two, three. I mean, some of your big cities, I, would even, I wouldn't, couldn't even guess how many there are with all your insurance uh, stuff going on. You probably have, you go down to a place like Saginaw, I bet you got, I don't know, I don't know how to guess, 30? 30 rehab places? I don't know. Go some of the bigger metropolis places, you probably have over 100 kind of interesting. Why? There's a problem with our mind, corrupt minds. And not only that, but notice uh, the second thing here, not only do they have a corrupt mind, but in doing so, they are uh, classified as reprobate concerning the faith. You say, what's that? Uh, what is reprobate? That simply means not enduring proof, not enduring proof or trial. Isn't that something? In the last days, when God puts some Christians' feet to the fire, they blow all the pieces. You see it? I'm not picking on anyone who does. There's been many days I felt like, man, I just weren't for the Lord. I'm in a hundred million pieces. I'm flying everywhere, blowing apart. You ever, blow, you ever go slap crazy some days? You're like, my soul, something better happen, <laughs> or it's going to happen. There's going to be a melt. You ever feel like you're going to have an out-of-body experience, not because of drugs? You just, oh. <laughs> Amen. You go curl up in a fetal position somewhere in a dark room for about an hour. <laughs> Okay, just me. Not enduring proof of trial, uh, abandoned in sin, abandoned in error. 
So Paul says these individuals, Janus and Jambres, they withstood the preacher, Moses. They were, they were resisting the truth. And then uh, by what happened is they end up uh, with a corrupt mind and they're reprobate concerning the truth. And then finally, finally you're dealing with men and women who uh, want to be discovered. And we covered that last week and here's where we kind of go back into traffic. Take your Bible, go to Proverbs chapter 18. You should be uh, very familiar with this passage Proverbs chapter 18. I suppose one of the reasons maybe we turn a bunch of scripture in, in uh, a majority of services, so maybe, uh, maybe the Holy Spirit can bring it to recall when you need it. Amen. I've sat in church before, and I've watched, I've watched for year after year after year, people just sit there and never turn in their Bible. And I'm like, man, I'm, just, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> trying to help you. You know, they, they, can, they can amen as loud as they want, but you ain't going to turn them pages. You'll never fall in love with the rock of ages, that's for sure. Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 1, the Bible says, Through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but his heart may discover itself. So finally, you're dealing with men and women in this age who are just uh, waiting to be discovered. I've seen a number of them come and go. They, they come and they have so much to offer. Uh, by the way, I, I know you all know this here, but the reason for a local church is not to be discovered. It's not to be noticed. It's not to get a position or a title. The reason to come to a local church is to get fed. Because the job of the preacher is to feed the flock of God which are among you. Nowhere in that passage, any passage, you say, now everyone that walks through that door, size them up and see whether they're deacon material, trustee material, program material, leadership material, and all over this continent, country, you've got, we've got our leadership conference. Well, great, I'm glad you're a leader. But the first job of the church is not to produce leaders. It's to feed sheep. And you know what's not going on in this country, in this community? We're not feeding sheep. I say we collectively like Iosco County. You say, why? I run into anemic sheep all the time. They're so bad they can't even bear. They're not getting fed. But they sure are getting something done, let me tell you what. You see that? They're in charge. And the only thing going out is what they are doing. But they ain't getting fed. And that's what you and I need. We don't need to be discovered. Uh, we need to make sure we're there so we can get fed. Now at verse 9, notice he says, They shall proceed no further. They shall proceed no further. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9. He's talking about these individuals in the body of Christ in the last days. They shall proceed no further. So the Lord's going to let them go so far. Amen. Before that thing goes right off the rails. And uh, people will see right through them in the long run. And we're talking, of course, uh, uh, verse 1 all the way through 9. People that have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. People that are lovers of their own selves, amen, there's the old selfie generation just creeping right up in the local church, you know. Uh, people that are covetous, Christians, boasters, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, of course, people that are Christians that are unthankful, Christians that are unholy, and uh, of course, Christians that are uh, perverts and their unnatural affections, that's, that's a reality in this day, and uh, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, and of course, fierce. How could you deny fierce? If none of that other list fits Christians, it's fierce. Go ahead and cross. You find out how fierce you become. 
go ahead and stand up to you, right? I'm doing a little bit of preaching. We're fierce. I mean, get mad at the drop of the hat and then say, let me drop the hat. <laughs> Amen? I mean, fierce. I mean, you know, we know we're Christians, but uh, just itching to fight. Come on. You need to know what I'm thinking. Sure, buddy. <laughs> it's so important, ain't it? And uh, what happens is uh, the Bible says they should proceed no further. For their folly shall be made manifest unto all men as theirs, talking about Janus and Jambres, was also. It's a great passage. They shall proceed no further. You say, why? God's going to stop them. God's going to stop them. You say, I've got a bunch on my list. I wish he'd stop. I'm sure you're probably on a couple other people's list too. <laughs> Amen. God's going to stop them. But not just the church. We're not just, there, there's a couple, really a couple applications here. I'm talking about Christians in the church. But that thing applies to the lost too. I'll take your Bible go to Matthew 13. We'll look at the lost for a second. You know this world can only go on so far before the Lord uh, pulls the plug on it. Yeah, amen. This thing is, as they would say uh, in uh, not-so-pastoral terms, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. I've never seen a handbasket, but I'm guessing that's a place where people going to hell are going, amen. Is that like a purse? Someone educate me on old, what in the world a handbasket is. Is that what it is? Yeah. Hey, hey, there you go. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's like a purse or something. I'm not saying all the women are going to hell. But anyways, <laughs> Matthew 13, 30, the Bible says, Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them into bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So that, thing's, uh, that thing has a direct context to Israel. Israel, of course, be the wheat, and then, of course, the, the, the rest of uh, the world that's uh, going to go up in smoke are the tares. Look at Zephaniah chapter 3. Here's another one. We talk about this one from time to time. The Lord's only going to let this thing go on so far. You know how you know Star Wars is untrue? You know how you know Marvel's untrue and DC's untrue in the sense that it's going on right now? Because God's not going to let all these other planets and galaxies get so jacked up like this place is. It's just a bunch of baloney. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 8. We're talking about that passage, they shall proceed no further. There's a great day coming. There's a great day coming, and you should be warning men and women about it. <coughs> People talk about global warming. Here it is. Bible says in Zephaniah 3, verse 8, Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I raise up to the prey, rise up to the prey. For my determination, that's Jehovah God's determination, is to gather the nations, get them all together. That's the UN. That's 193 nations in the UN, uh, United Nations. And they're all together now, right? That I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. You see that? Second Timothy says, But they shall proceed no further. Their folly shall be made manifest unto all men, as theirs was also. Now let me show you how this thing goes in the church. Now the Lord's not going to let people, uh, Christians, get away with their devilment forever. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, some Christians might get away with their devilment down here, but I'm telling you what, when you stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, He's going to bring all that stuff to light. He's going to bring it all to light. 
Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verse 13. The Bible says, But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whosoever doth make manifest is light. And so uh, not only the judgment seat of Christ, but uh, there comes a point in time in many believers' lives where they're going off the rails and the Lord says, all right, I'm turning the light on, whether it's through preaching or through how you're living. He turns the light on and everything's known and you don't go any farther. That's why we're waxing worse and worse. We're not getting any better. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. That's why it is so important, Christian, to love the truth. Because if you love the truth you're less likely to go into error. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Of course, you're dealing with the judgment seat of Christ here. Let me give you this one, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now that passage there says uh, they shall proceed no further. And you got a dual thing there. You got Christians that are um, falling to pieces in the body of Christ in the last days, perilous times. And then you got lost people that are awaiting their judgment. I hear in 1 Corinthians 14, 25, the Bible says, And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. And you need to understand this, Christian, that uh, there's God's only let a man go so far, so far, a saved or a lost, before he pulls the plug on that thing. Uh, back to verse 10. Uh, Paul's telling you about what, what he's done. He says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Verse 11, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Two great verses here in chapter 3. Talks about what Paul's gone through, what he's done. And of course, with uh, the context is the young Timothy here. And of course, Timothy, he's been with on Paul on these missionary journeys. And he's been with him on preaching trips, uh, no doubt. And Paul says this in verse 10, you have fully known my doctrine. You say, what's doctrine? Well, you got the Bible right in front of you. That's Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? First and Second Thessalonians, so forth and so on. And uh, he says, you've fully known my doctrine. Uh, Timothy's not in the dark about it. In verse 10, he says, manner of life. You know my manner of life. You know what Paul's manner of life was? Conscience. He's talking about your conscience. Paul was big on conscience. And uh, I hate to say it, but uh, you don't hear much preaching on conscience anymore. The world says, follow your conscience. Well, if you're lost, your conscience is shot. But even, uh, especially uh, if you just, uh, are, I'm not going to get down that rabbit hole there. But uh, look at uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Romans 9, verse 1. I'll show you two verses on this thing. <coughs> Every Christian should uh, take care of his conscience. Every Christian should take care of his conscience. And the way you take care of that conscience is by constantly giving a steady diet of the Word of God. And if you don't give it a steady diet of the Word of God, your conscience is going to be shot. And you're always going to be wondering what people are thinking about you. And you're always going to have a rough time talking to people you don't like. <laughs> Amen. You know why you have a rough time talking to people you don't like? Because your conscience shot. Because you think they don't like you either. 
And you're like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. They're like, what, did they tell you that? No, I just know. No, your conscience shot, buster. <laughs> Romans 9. You ever stop and think as a Christian how many times we exasperate the situation when there's no situation to begin with because our conscience shot? Bible says in 9 1, I say the truth in Christ, not I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. With everything that Paul had done and everyone he'd thrown into prison, everyone that he had had a hand in killing and murdering, for him to say, my conscience bearing me, uh, that fellow had his conscience under control. And you have to constantly clean that conscience out with the Word of God. That's the only way it can get repaired. Ye are clean through the word which I have spoken you. That's why we can't say enough as a, as a Christian, as a believer. The best thing you could do besides staying in fellowship with Jesus Christ is to bathe yourself, bath yourself, and to drink freely from the word of God constantly. We say how much? As much as you can handle. Uh, look at uh, Acts chapter uh, 26. Go back a couple chapters. Acts 26, he talks about his manner of life. Acts 26. One thing about Paul, the Lord picked the right man. And the thing about Paul is he might have done a lot of things in ignorance, amen. His methods were wrong, but his motive was right. His motive was right. And I believe that's why God could use him the way he did. If you look at Acts chapter 26, if you look at verse 4, notice what he says. What a wild statement. 26.4, he says this, my manner of life from my youth which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, no, all the Jews. Do you realize not only did he sit under the feet of Gamaliel, but his life was on display for everyone in that nation. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. Every knew, everybody knew Paul. Everybody knew uh, that he was faithful in everything that he did and said. And he was zealous, right? Zealous in his own religion, even though he was zealous for the wrong things. But hey, he was all in. He wasn't like a has-been. Like, what well, kind of, I'm kind of in, you know. <laughs> he was all the way in. He was a nut job. And the Lord, I believe the Lord looked at that fellow and said, man, look what this guy could get done if he was zealous for the right thing. I believe the reason why the Lord don't use us more is because he looks at us. And, of course, Revelation chapter 3, I wish it thou art cold or hot. And we're kind of, well, you know, <laughs> you know, well, it's just, oh, I've got a lot to do today. And, uh, and the Lord's like, yeah, I'm not going to use that fellow. But Paul, man, nonstop. No grass ever grew under his feet. And he, he could say with a clear conscience here in verse 4, everyone in my entire nation knew what my conscience was, my manner of life. All right, he uh, talks later about working with his hands, so forth and so on. Now, Paul's purpose in verse 10. You ever stop and think about what Paul's purpose was? Look at Philippians chapter 3, the Bible tells you. Paul's purpose is found in Philippians chapter 3. And uh, verse 10, Paul's purpose was to know God. It wasn't to, uh, you know, be the first one to give a million dollars in missions. Y'all are either sleeping or... <laughs> I said the wrong thing there. You see what I mean? Paul, Paul's purpose was to know God. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I think he probably should be there by now. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, that I may know him. Ain't that something? You know what Paul wanted? His purpose for living? He wanted to know God. You know, Christians want to know in the last day, well, when are you going to shut up? <laughs> when you, what time is dinner? Uh, when is it going to start snowing? 
Oh, when's the nicer weather going to be? Well, we got six months of this. You better just strap in. Amen. It's, well, it's like a psychological thing. I got to talk to my wife every time about this year. And I'm like, okay, we're in northern Michigan and it's ugly out. And it's just going to be ugly out until May. But actually, it gets real pretty when it's all white. It's just the mud and the crud and the brown and all the leaves are gone, right? And all the flowers are gone. And you see like parts of deer all over the road. It's just depressing, you know. <laughs> but he says his purpose, manner, his purpose uh, was to know God. Not only that, his purpose was to suffer. That I may know him and the uh, power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. And uh, look down here, verse uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse... I was right there. I just lost it. There it is. Verse 13. You know what his purpose was? This is good. His purpose was to forget the past. And I tell you, there's a fellow that needed to forget the past. It was Paul. Amen? All that stuff he did in his zeal and put people underground. And I doubt anyone here, I doubt anyone here has ever killed anybody. <laughs> sure hope not. <laughs> Amen? But can you imagine living with that? Imagine taking uh, parents away from children. My soul. If there's one group of people I despise, I mean despise, is social workers. So I hate it. Ripping families apart and stuff like that. He said, oh, you better watch it. You better watch it. God hates that stuff. Well, you just don't understand. Probably don't. Amen. Glad I don't. Glad I don't have to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and go, why'd you rip that family apart? You think you're smarter than me? You know, this country's produced a, a good number of people that had bad dads. Back in the day, it was common. There was a number of people that just were drunks. They were no good. We used to pick up parents. My parents used to pick up kids all the time in the church van for years and years and years. And you know what you find out? Well, I had to drive to the Buckhorn Inn and get daddy. He was drunk. 13-year-old. Back in the early 80s. It happened all the time. Or you find out that dad beat mom up or something. I mean, all kinds of stuff. You say, what happened? They turned out pretty good. Now, we're not endorsing that stuff. But uh, Paul's purpose there was to know God, to forget the past, and reach forward to that which is before. Because let me ask you this. Just what can you really do about the past? Nada. You ever wonder why you worry about it and fret over it so much? Can't change it. The only thing, you, you can't change anybody uh, that, that had to do with your past either. only one thing you can change is you, and the only thing you can change is the present. You can't even change the future. Ain't that something? So Paul's purpose uh, was to, to know him, was forget the past, reach forward to that which is before. And how about verse 14? Here's his purpose. I press toward the mark. You know what Paul knew as a preacher? Paul knew as a Christian he had to put pressure on the right things. Pressure on the right things. That's probably the hardest thing uh, uh, me individually is, is just trying to find the right things to put the right amount of pressure on. Right? To be balanced. So you've got to put the right amount of pressure. It's not all, uh, it's not read your Bible 24-7. It's, <coughs> it's not pass out tracks 24-7. Somewhere along the line you're going to have to talk to your wife eventually. Somewhere you're going to have to talk to your children eventually. Probably have to go to work too, amen? God wants that thing balanced. You've got to put the right type of pressure in the right place. And that was Paul's purpose. 
He talks about his manner of life, his purpose, his faith, his long-suffering. He has not think about Paul's long-suffering as a Christian. Over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about all he suffered. Man, that thing's a list over there in 2 Corinthians 11. And he tells Timothy, you know how my long-suffering. <laughs> I put up with it, he says. Uh, talks about his charity in verse 10 there. And uh, his charity. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The more I read through the Pauline epistles, and I've got a long way to go, I, pro I bet you I probably only read through them 50 or 60 times max. I don't have an exact number, but that'd be about it. But uh, every time I read through it, I see more about Paul. And here uh, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, turn there, uh, notice these are his new converts. Now, those of you who do gardening know that you've got to be careful with the fertilizer. Amen? You can't put too much on and, or you'll burn it all up, won't you? Well, preaching is like fertilizer. <laughs> it is. And you've got to be careful when you're preaching. And we're not talking about, you know, having lace in your britches and all that stuff and, not, and being afraid not to speak. We're not talking about that. We're talking about you've got to be careful that you don't burn your people up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 7 and 8. Notice Paul here was with new converts. Look at his charity. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse, as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not, uh, not, uh, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear to us. A dear, does it say, unto us. I need glasses here. <coughs> you see that? That's Paul's charity. That doesn't sound like a preacher, does it? A lot of preachers I know, they preach straight as a gun barrel, and when you talk to them, they got the personality of a stick. A preacher ought to have charity. Amen. He should. A pre Why? Well, that's what you're supposed to have. What's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? Preachers should have charity. What's wrong with being gentle? Now, we're not talking about being a sweetheart behind the pulpit. No, we're not talking about We're talking about dealing with people one-on-one. -on -one. You should be able to talk like a normal individual and have some compassion. Having compassion, having, some having compassion, making a difference. I mean, you don't talk to people like you preach. If you, you, when you deal with someone uh, on one-on-one -on -one personal work, you're careful with them. You're trying to love them. You're trying to win them to yourself. You're like, hey, what you're trying to do it without coming out, you're trying to say, look, I, I love you. I see you as a soul, not a person. And I do not want your soul to go to hell. So a preacher, when he deals with his people, should be, hey, I love you. I want to see you grow in the Lord but I also understand the Lord is the one that has to grow you. And he's talking to his, uh, his, his new converts, and it's all about new converts here. And he says here, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse. You know what's gotten me in trouble over the years? My gentleness. People mistake my gentleness for someone who's dumb and stupid. Now, look, I've had my moments, amen, and still do. But just because I'm gentle don't mean I can't chew the bark off a tree if the Lord says chew. But you ought to be gentle. You ought to be gentle with people. You ought to give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, they don't deserve it. Neither do you, amen? That's charity. That is, as one fellow says, the most mature type of love. It's hard, to, it's hard to grow up, isn't it? You know, some days it's like, I remember when I was a kid, around seven or eight, I just want to have a big old bowl of cereal and watch cartoons all day. That, the mindset, not like actually sit down and watch. Cartoons, it ain't worth nothing, amen? <clears throat> Verse 11, Paul says, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, 
Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endure, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Now, that's a great verse, and you want to remember that. You want to mark it down. You see, today it might be that you have a shout on your breath and you have everything under control, but there's come a point in time, there's going to come a day in your life where you're going to find yourself out of control. <coughs> and you need to realize that the Lord will deliver you out of this stuff. He will. And while we many times accuse the Lord of being cruel and inconsiderate, at least I have done that over the years, you got to remember he delivered Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. He delivered David in 1 Samuel 17. He delivered Job and all the afflictions and trials he went through in Job chapter 1 and 2. But it's a great passage. You need to memorize that thing. Now here we're going to come to this verse. We're just going to step into it a little bit. We won't finish it by any means. Verse 12. Paul says in verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer <laughs> persecution. So if you live for God, you're not going to get along with this world. And one thing about being in northern Michigan is that uh, we don't have as many people like the life in the big city does. Amen? So we, we're, we're able sometimes to limit our interactions. But if you work at the job place somewhere, <laughs> you're going to have to run into people. Amen? And if you live for the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall suffer persecution. No way to get around it. Bible says over in Luke 16, 15, He said to them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. You say, what are you saying? Well, if you live for God, you won't get along with this world. If you live for God, you will hate the things of this world. I'm not talking about you're going to hate. I'm, you can't, can't go out fishing. You can't go out hunting. Hey, he's richly given us all things to enjoy, the Bible says. Only thing about anything you do, you've got to ask yourself the question, do I have it or does it have me? Because Paul said, I won't be brought under the power of any. All things are lawful. All things are expedient. Nothing wrong with listening to music, but does your music have you? Nothing wrong with hunting, but does hunting have you? Ain't nothing wrong with fishing, but does fishing have you? Amen. Ain't nothing wrong with watching NASCAR. Maybe the last part in Victory Lane where they have the, the bad-looking girls. Amen. Maybe probably better turn that off. Amen. But not wrong to watch NASCAR, but does NASCAR have you? You see what I mean? Not wrong to drink coffee, but does coffee have you? And so forth and so on. But if you live for God, you'll not get along with this world. You know, if you live for God, you know what will happen? You won't please the devil either. And then he'll be mad at you. Can I just remind you that someone's going to be mad at you the rest of your life? But it shouldn't be the Lord. You say, well, it seems like my family's always mad at me. <laughs> well, family's fickle, amen. Aren't we fickle? We are fickle. Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus Christ changeth not? Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever? I mean, everything changes around here. But he don't change. I mean, the times in my life, uh, uh, I despise salad. That still applies today, amen? But there'll be times in life where I'll be like, okay, I'm going to try to like salad today. And after a half bottle of ranch, I'm like, nah, I still don't like salad. We're fickle. You want to give the appearance of eating healthy, amen? The ranch kind of just kind of, well, whatever. But we're fickle. Family's fickle. Friends are fickle, right? Best friend one day, not your friend the next. Oh, he unfriended me. 
How do you even know that? I have no idea. Amen. <laughs> if, you, uh, if, you live, uh, if you live godly, guess what? You're going to suffer some persecutions. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. We'll, a couple of verses, we'll be done here. <coughs> it's not if, it's when. And as your pastor, uh, as the Lord's brought people here over the years, and some people left on their own, and as you guys have come in here, you know what I've watched? I've watched you go through persecution. And I hate it for you, but you know what? It's a testimony that you live godly. You see that? When you go through things, and they're personal, and they hurt, and they dig, that is many times a testimony that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. I've seen people coming in here before and family climb all over them and put pressure on them like you would never believe. And they hold up and they stand tall. Praise the Lord for it. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 33. You're going to suffer some persecution. Paul gives you some examples here. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had tr a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, uh, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goats being destitute, afflicted, and torment. You know what the crazy part of this chapter is? You see what the Lord does here? Look back to about verse 11, uh, verse 33 rather. You see he's going through the, uh, some of the testimony of the patriarchs, right? And some of the prophets. But notice beginning about 34 and 35 and 36, you see what the Holy Spirit does? He takes that thing and he steps forward through history into the church age. You see what he does there? Look at it and apply it. Others had trial of cruel mockings all through England, right? 14, 15, 16, 1700, moreover bonds of imprisonment. How many Christians, how many preachers were left to rot in a cell? John Bunyan, right? Uh, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. Hundreds, hundreds of them. How about the St. Uh, Valentine's Day uh, Massacre? Thousands of French Huguenot Christians slaughtered with the sword. And it says uh, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, uh, of whom the world was not worthy. That's what the Lord says about those Christians. The Holy Spirit says this, this world ain't worthy of them. What a testimony. But they lived godly, and they suffered persecution. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Let me say this and we'll close. Something about suffering persecution. If you're going to live for God, God's going to try your faith. He's going to give you some persecution. It's going to come. And it may be the brethren. It may be the lost. Uh, but there's going to be some persecution involved. Remember this. If you're going to be a workman, like the Bible says, and you're going to live godly, you're going to be the husbandman, if you're going to be a soldier, you've got to remember that God has a way of helping us build up treasure in heaven. And this just might be one way he does it. See, do you look forward to suffering? Absolutely not. But when he brings it along, instead of cussing it and kicking it, you say, okay, well, here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity for reward. And that comes through persecutions and trials. 
bereavements, heartaches, hard times, patience and persecutions and trials. All right, you got to trust the Lord to it. We'll stop right there.